Thanks, Claire. Hey, everyone. Great to see you all. Hello at home. Um, I'm going to try and not uh, step onto the small little stage that we've had here for the last 18 months and uh, fall down before you all, you know, hide the preacher and all of that, Lord. Um, but it's, um, it's great to see you. And um, I want to start with a question. I wonder if you have as yet asked, what do I want the next academic year, the next year of my life to look like? Um, I was on holiday over summer and um, just got up one morning and uh, just going to my Bible and um, just felt this kind of overwhelming urge of, I just want to lay aside everything that the last 18 months has been and the pressures at home and work and COVID. And I, I really just want to be with Jesus. And um, it became a little bit of a theme for, for the holiday, um, for me personally, actually, of just this longing to, to just, for all, that is, all that's happened, just to be with Jesus. And um, coming back into... Um, into Nottingham after that, and just uh, conversations with different ones. Actually recognizing that that's a, a theme that seems to be sitting with, with a lot of us kind of across the church. Like we, we really want to just be with Jesus um, in worship. We haven't been able to uh, be together for large parts the last 18 months or sing or sing without masks or uh, take communion as regularly together as we would like. We just want to be with Jesus in worship, but we just want to be with Jesus in the community of his people, don't we? It's been so hard to kind of connect with people during this time. And the things have, have kind of eased over summer. It's been a long time, hasn't it, where we haven't been able to be in one another's homes as, quite as regularly as, uh, as we would like. We want to be with Jesus in the community of his people. Uh, but also, we just want to walk the Christian walk w without this kind of huge COVID thing hanging over us, don't we? That's a desire that many of us are kind of, can, can we just get there? And, and, and so this, this theme of, of being with Jesus, as we um, processed it as, as a staff team, we, we felt that we wanted to... Um, just, just base ourselves in one of the Gospels. And so we're going to do that for the whole academic year. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew um, through to next summer. Now, we'll take lots of breaks from that, so don't worry. It's like, and this week it's Matthew 8, or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, well, there's lots of breaks. Even uh, October and November, we're going into a series called God's Plan for Our Well-Being. Um, and um, uh, so we'll be sort of dipping um, in and out of that. But just that the heart to, to really be uh, with Jesus. It won't just be in the, uh, the preachers either. It'll be other events kind of across uh, church life where the, the aim really is that if, if by next summer we can know the gospel of Matthew really well, then we can know the Jesus uh, that he uh, portrays, that he uh, presents us with. So we can just be with him. We can see what he's like. It's, what does it take to build a, a thriving community? Being with Jesus. What does it take to reach Nottingham with the gospel? Being with Jesus. What does it take to replicate things that we do across the UK? It takes being with Jesus. So Matthew, for, for those of you... Um, unfamiliar, was a, was a Jew who had become a, um, a tax collector who was um, working with uh, the, the hated Romans. And um, Jesus called him to be one of his followers. Um, and so what he's written here is, uh, in his gospel is, is an eyewitness account, but it's likely dependent and um, sort of influenced by the, uh, the, the earlier account of Mark. He's taken what he's seen, he's taken what uh, Mark's written from what he's, uh, uh, him and, and other witnesses have seen, he's, he's put them together, and there is absolutely loads that we can explore in this book. The 28 chapters of it, uh, different themes that Matthew presents, the way that he structured things very deliberately, uh, the aims, and all of which, when you, when you see it, it just opens up who Jesus is on a whole another level. And so we could go into some of that kind of stuff in, in the preaching, but actually what, what we're going to do is give a, a particular evening just opening up the, the kind of structure and context and 
What's the deal with Matthew's gospel? So Tuesday, the 14th of September, uh, which Tuesday week, uh, it's going to be on Zoom just to make that as accessible as possible. So you can come and be with Jesus on the Monday night in the worship night and just enjoy being in the presence of his people, worshiping him together. And then on the Tuesday night, if you want, you can come and get to know Matthew just in a way that will really help us um, over the next um, year or so. One of the things I will say, though, is that what Matthew says you can, you can kind of see it from the bookends of the gospel. So he starts with a genealogy, which we're going to look at uh, today uh, in a moment, which ends with this great declaration that Jesus is Emmanuel, that is God with us in our lives, in our situations. But then he ends with this great kind of summary statement, the Great Commission, where he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. And, and the point that Matthew's making is that Jesus and not the Jewish religious leaders of the day have all authority. Jesus has all authority. He says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. It's the alls that we're picking out. And, and though Matthew's gospel is, is very Jewish, it helps people who know and believe the Old Testament scriptures to, um, to see how Jesus fulfilled them. Everyone who's not a Jew in the gospel of Matthew does very, very well, apart from Herod and Pilate. And so the point is that the gospel is going to all of us, whoever we are, wherever we're at. And Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. And the point of Matthew is that if you have Jesus as the king of your life, then you do what he says. You follow after him. It's all obedience. And he says, surely I will be with you always. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So if you've got a Bible with you, it will be helpful to uh, turn on your Bible or your phone to Matthew chapter 1. Um, but given it's the genealogy, we're going to look at it in a little bit of a fun way. So I can hit the video. Thank you.
surprise to anyone who can learn that song by the end of this series, right? Um, so how do you see a passage like this? Um, growing up in the 80s, I was a child of the 90s, and so uh, saw a lot of The Simpsons growing up. And many of you might have seen the episode where they're in church, and I think uh, this passage, or one at least very similar to it, is being read, and it's, you know, sort of Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and they're, they're all sort of falling asleep, and the idea is kind of, oh, isn't this a boring passage? But I, I think this is absolutely fascinating. So let me tell you why. There's three things that it shows us, and the first one is biblical history biblical history. Now, there are several babies who uh, either have been or are about to be born um, in the life of Grace Church. We thank God um, for that. We want to support the parents as as best we can. We often, uh, as a community, try and rally around new parents and make meals for them, etc. And so if you want to get involved in something like that, just um, get in touch with the office. But I wonder if some of the names in this list have been considered by said new parents. Uh, Salmon, I think, is a favorite of mine, and everyone uh, calling your child Salmon for a majority of its upbringing. Jehoshaphat, you don't hear many of those, do you? And uh, you'd be facing everyone kind of struggling to pronounce it. And then all the Christians would be like, hang on a minute, was he a good one or a bad one? I can't quite remember. He was a king, wasn't he? But... But actually, rather than a big list of names, what we have here is more like a giant game of one of my favorite games, the game of Pictionary. Who is a fan of Pictionary? We've got some, we've got some fans in the room, yeah? I love Pictionary. I may have got 27% in my last ever art exam, but in spite of that, they read out the results in descending order, by the way. It was a very long wait to get to me at the bottom. But I love Pictionary because I think you see a totally different side to people when you play Pictionary. You find out who the competitive people are. You find out who's got the kind of secret artistic talents. You find out who the rule keepers are, right? I mean, who is willing to write words on their pictures, yeah? I mean, it's not wordenry, is it? Come on, it's Pictionary. So, we, um, so I love playing it. And the reason why this, uh, this passage is a little bit like a big game of Pictionary is because the thing before you is, is a clue to the bigger whole. And um, what Matthew's doing here is he's telling the story of God's people, culminating in King Jesus. And um, where the video stopped short was um, the last verse of our passage, verse 17, where uh, you can see the three sections that Matthew puts all, all the names and the history into. And here's what it says. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so it's, it's in these, these three sections. You can see them if, if you look at it in a Bible. It's um, in three paragraphs. And, and the first one starts with this guy, Abraham, who was the father of the Jews. And so it would have been very impressive for, for, the, uh, uh, for Jewish readers uh, of this gospel to see that Jesus lineage could be traced all the way back to Abraham. But the reason why he was a big deal was because God had made him an incredible promise. Have a look at this in uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, looking from verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He's the one that enables the blessing of God to go to all the nations, all the families of the earth. We are its fruits, if you like. This is the all nations theme again in operation. And it's why, as Zoltan here reminded us a few weeks ago, that diversity is the biblical default. It's because of, amongst other things, Genesis chapter 12. And so anyway, that's just the first word of verse two. So if we go at that speed, we'll be here for hours. So we'll pick up the pace. And um, the story goes through Abraham's uh, descendants who go um, into Egypt. Uh, it doesn't uh, mention the exodus out of Egypt uh, directly, but uh, they come out of Egypt. Uh, they spend about 40 years uh, in the desert, the, the wilderness, end up in the promised lands with uh, a king called David. And that ends the first section, if you like. That's, that's verse six. And it's left on David. Now, if I was to ask the room, what are the, the biggest things that we know about David in the Bible? Who can shout something out? You could try shouting from online, but you'd have to shout very, very loud. But hey, play along at home if you like. What do we know about David? What stands out? Singing. He was a singer. I didn't have that one. That is true. He was a shepherd. Yeah, I also didn't have that one. Should have been in my research, yeah. Goliath, yes, whoever said that is the first one in my notes. Yes, he defeated Goliath. And uh, there's actually no reference to that in this passage anyway. So uh, anything else? He played a string instrument. He killed a wild bear. So, um, he was a king. Yeah, all of that's kind of assumed in here. Well, the thing that I'm very relieved no one mentioned, the thing that would have stood out for a first century Jew reading this passage and remembering the Gospel of Matthew is, is very Jewish, as, as we were saying, helping us to see how Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament scripture, is that God had made a promise to David of an everlasting kingdom through a son of his. And son there is just meaning kind of someone in, in the line of David, if you like. And so have a look at this from 2, 2 Samuel chapter 7 um, in, in the Old Testament. This is one of the most important chapters in, in, in the whole Old Testament, actually. I'm going to jump in at verse 12. We've got it in the screen. Yeah, Achan's beaten me again. There we go. When your days are fulfilled, so this is God speaking to King David, uh, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so David has a son, Solomon, who does end up building a physical house, a temple, if you like, for God. But, but truly, Jesus is also, again, the fulfillment of this promise. He's the one that establishes the everlasting rule and reign of God. And so then what you get in the story after that is a series of kind of good kings and bad kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And really, the faithfulness of the king, or lack thereof, seems to affect the faithfulness of the people. And that's actually one of Matthew's key themes, again, that the obedience of the king filters down to the people, such that we can know that if Jesus is the king of our lives, then we'll produce good fruit in our lives. But if um, money or power or worry or religiosity are the king, then we produce bad fruit. And so for the, for the people after David, the, the kings were largely evil. So actually what happened to the nation was that it followed suit and such that, that God ended up needing to kind of uh, shake them up by sending them into exile, into captivity in a place called Babylon. And it was years before they returned under this guy called Zerubbabel, which is where verse 13 ends up, and also another great one for the baby list, if you're looking for that one. 
But when, when they do return, sure, that this Babylonian kingdom has gone, but they're still ruled by the Persian Empire. And though there's brief stints of independence for God's people under the, the Greek Empire that then follows that, by the time of Jesus' day, they're then ruled by the Romans. And so actually, it was the, the view of many Jews of the time that the exile, the captivity, had never actually truly ended that they were still ruled by this pagan power. They were still facing the consequences of their sin. And so Matthew's point here, what he's trying to say, and it develops throughout the gospel, is that in all senses, this exile, this captivity, is now truly over with the coming of Jesus because he stands in total authority. He fulfills that story too. So you've got Abraham, David, exile, all fulfilled in Jesus. Promise, Kingdom, freedom, hope. Jesus fulfills each of these stories. And you might say, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's Israel's story, isn't it? But actually, I think that's the whole human story. Because every other narrative that we see and live by in our lives is just a shadow, or more positively, an echo of God's big story that is described here, such that even today, like Jesus is our hope. Let me give you a couple of um, examples from our, from our culture. Take um, in the news recently, the, the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. And um, whatever you think of that politically, it's created a lot of anger, hasn't it? So you have to ask, well, why? Why has it created a lot of anger? And I think those who feel that anger would say that because there's a danger that an on-the-ground mission that led to the defeat of evil powers and granted a freedom previously unattainable by the Afghan people, like there's the gospel thread, is now potentially being undone. And so actually the deficiencies in its matching up to the gospel are why we feel so strongly about it, aren't they? So that in that situation... The only hope for lasting peace, the only hope that brings freedom to the, the oppressed, the only, um, the, the only hope that permanently defeats evil is Jesus, is the gospel. Or take something entirely different. My um, daughter is massively into Disney um, at the moment, and if you spend any time with her, you are likely to be asked in the same run of questions what your favorite Disney film is, Disney character, Disney princess, and Disney song all at once. I don't know where she's got the idea of asking way too many questions at once from. But in, in every Disney film, there is a desire for redemption, isn't there? That every wrong would be made right again. And the, the, what you tend to get in the plots is that the, the, a storyline where, where those in the grip of evil, be that a character or, uh, or, or a set of circumstances, are delivered by a humble rescuer who brings lasting victory. So you see, these, these are the stories in our culture, but really they only echo this great story of promise, of kingdom, of freedom, of hope that is fulfilled in Jesus. I'll throw another one in. For those who are excited about, about that, Ronaldo returning to United. Some in the room will be excited. Some will be slightly disappointed it wasn't their team. But really what it is, is it's, for them, is, it's about a hero returning to establish dominance through victory and create history in the process. And it's actually the deficiency of that story is because the victory isn't necessarily as short, i.e. it doesn't fully reflect the gospel. 
So, you know, you can take this, this list, this genealogy in Matthew, and we can dismiss it as a load of names if we like. But what it's actually telling us is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's grand story. And within that story is found the world's every desire, every hope, and every need. This is our story. And so when we say, I don't know how I can survive my job, how things are at the moment, or I really wish I was married, or I really need healing from this condition right now, I'm just longing to feel fulfilled, or how can I live with both the virus and my vulnerability? What this is showing us is that Jesus is the answer. Not necessarily how or when we uh, expect it. We won't already have it all worked out. Sometimes things will feel out of control. But that was the case for the first readers of this gospel too. And Matthew here is showing Jesus as the saving king who will fulfill his promises and bring lasting freedom and hope to us. And so the question is, well, how do we live with that perspective? Which takes us on to our second point, which is that this passage shows us about biblical heroes, biblical heroes. And it shows us that they are diverse and humble. It's the deliberate diversity um, in this passage that really jumps out, actually. There are men and women op operating together, and that's uh, in a, amidst a, a Greek and Roman and Jewish culture where uh, legal rights for women were very severely restricted. There's people in this passage who are known for being young and known for being old. There's the rich and the poor, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. And that would have really riled Jewish readers of this passage who, who valued the kind of purity of lineage. We find in here typical family units and utterly dysfunctional families. We find so-called saints and sinners. We find those who are blessed and those who are cursed. And what it shows us is that whoever we are, Whatever our background, whatever the barriers that we face in our life, which Matthew doesn't dismiss, by the way, he wants us to know that there is space for us in God's story. But equally, there's a humility to the part that God gives us to play in his story. And that's actually shown by the number of people in this list that, um, that seemingly have like, insignificant roles. Partway through, kind of verse 13 onwards, all the commentaries just basically stop because like, the biblical record ends and, and it's in sort of secular records um, from then. And, and so they don't really know what to say. They're just, who, who are these people? Or maybe it's some of the major figures, some real faith heroes actually that, that aren't mentioned at all in this genealogy, like Noah or Joseph, uh, not um, Mary's husband, by the way. I mean, the, the one with the coat, the Donny Osmond one, you know, back in the day. Moses, he's not mentioned. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Saul, any, um, any of the judges, I should say. Samuel, Saul, any king of Israel, Ezra, Nehemiah, these are like faith heroes, and they're not here. And for some, there's good reason for that. Matthew's primarily concerned with, with royal and legal descent, and so some of them just don't fit that, so that's why they don't get mentioned. But others, there just doesn't seem to be a good reason. I mean, Noah was um, one of Abraham's ancestors. He could have easily got a mention. Um, Moses was Israel's greatest ever teacher and, force, uh, and oversaw their greatest ever events. And Matthew refers to plenty of other things. And so you can imagine like Moses and Matthew in heaven, you know, at the moment, can't you? And Moses sort of come up to Matthew and be like, 
Hey, Matthew, you know that, that genealogy you wrote? Wasn't even room just for a little mention, you know? Just, just for me, greatest ever event in Israel's history? Maybe it's because the Bible says that he was the most humble man on earth, but then he did write that by himself. So who knows? And yet, diverse and humble, where there's all sorts of characters looking to God rather than their own lives, is who the people of God are. We see it in Revelation chapter 7, where it's, it's every tribe and tongue and nation together crying out, salvation belongs to our God. We are defined by who he has made us to be together. And so actually not by our own needs or preferences or individuality or jobs or families or circumstances. There's a role for each of us and it's to come and lay ourselves down for the sake of the wider body. And you know, with, with church changing and how things are done as, as the restrictions um, have and societal views on how to live with the virus um, being so fragmented but yet so fervent, as we seek to get to the point where we've got um, three meetings on a Sunday, two of them with kids' work and youth work, full of the power of God, uh, community thriving, uh, that's overflowing into the city and, and is bringing our, our lives at work and school and uni and neighborhoods into its heart, it can be very easy at the moment for us to forget that we're more defined by who we are together in God's great story than by our individual circumstances, can't it? And it can be so tempting for all of us to stay in that kind of, our church doesn't really work for me at the moment. Or I'll wait until this particular thing is, is sorted before I uh, serve or join a home group or, or come to the building. And now, we've been in the same storm in different boats. There are some incredibly vulnerable people amongst us. And um, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that if we stay in this place of frustration, rather than helping to shape things as we go, if we refuse to lay down our circumstances for the sake of the wider body, if we prioritize other things ahead of being church together, well, then the definition of us is simply a collection of isolated individuals, isn't it? Rather than a people together whose lives are first and foremost defined by belonging to him. And that's what the people in this list did. They, for all their different circumstances, they, they, they all laid them aside for the sake of the people that they are and the story that they're in. But lastly, the passage shows us about biblical hope. Biblical hope. And um, so often we can think that there are things in our lives that prevents God from using us in a particular way, can't we? And um, it's just worth pointing out that this genealogy is a chronicle of broken people. It's the flawed, the failed, and the faulty, if you like. Abraham spent years of life painfully waiting. Jacob was an absolute rascal. He messed things up with his family, and he was a compulsive deceiver. And then to add to all of it, he had a life-defining injury as well. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, thinking that she was a pagan prostitute. Rahab actually was. 
Ruth lost her husband and ended up unknown in a strange land. David abused his authority by adulterously insisting that he sleep with a woman that he'd noticed and he had a husband murdered and then saw the son of that episode die. Josiah and Hezekiah both saw their life's work undone by their successors. Zerubbabel saw people weeping with sadness at the results of his work. The later names had no word from God for 400 years. And yet here they are. Their stories not avoided, but redeemed by Jesus, the saving Messiah. You know, there is no sin that he cannot forgive, no wounds he cannot heal. There's no barrier he cannot break down, no disappointment he cannot overcome. There's no demon he cannot cast out, no thwarted plans he cannot turn to his gain, no loss he cannot restore, no mistake he cannot undo. Through 2,000 years of Israel's history, and in the 2,000 years since, he remains Jesus, the Lord saves. I wonder what barriers you're putting up in your own life to God using you. I bet you find them in this genealogy. But Jesus has come. And he lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that he did not deserve. He came to pay a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And he now rules on high in all authority. There is a place for you in his kingdom. He can fulfill and redeem your story. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, this passage encourages us to humble ourselves before our Lord and King, who saves his people from their sins, and who is Emmanuel. God with us. Amen. Let's have the band up. And um, I think there might be a, a bit of space for um, God to do some stuff. And um, let's, let's just be, be before Jesus. Maybe we'll, um, can we sing part of the song? Is that all right? And um, then, yeah, let's stand together.